Laudator Jesus Christus, Vatican and World News. Today, Monday, February 19th, is the Feast of St. Conrad of Piacenza, a hermit and Third Order Franciscan. And these are today's headlines. An outbreak of ethnic violence in Papua New Guinea has led to dozens of deaths. Anti-government protests in Israel ramped up over the weekend. And the bishops of the Democratic Republic of Congo are calling for prayers for peace. In the Vatican, I'm Christopher Wells. At least 26 combatants and an unconfirmed number of villagers were reported killed in a new spike of ethnic violence between warring tribes in Papua New Guinea. The violence broke out on Sunday in the Enga province in the remote highlands of the South Pacific nation, where scores of people have died in tribal fighting over the course of the past year. Lisa Zangarini tells us more. Papua New Guinea is a diverse ethnic nation of 10 million, home to hundreds of tribes, and ethnic violence in the Enga province has been prevalent for some time. Tensions have intensified since the 2022 elections that confirmed incumbent Prime Minister James Marapi of the Papua and New Guinea Union Party. The latest incident comes just over a month after Marapi declared the state of emergency in Port Moresby, the Papuan capital, following the violent riots that erupted on January the 10th during protests staged by civil servants after they discovered their wages had been reduced by half. During the riots, dubbed as Black Wednesday, at least 22 people were reportedly killed and several shops set on fire or looted. The Papuan bishops deplored the violence and expressed shame at learning that several Catholics involved in prayer groups and youth ministries joined in the devastation. In a statement signed by the president of the Papuan Episcopal Conference, Cardinal John Ribat, also remarked that the events of January the 10th should serve as a warning for both the government and the local church. Papua New Guinea is one of the poorest countries in the Pacific, with about one-third of the population living below the poverty line, growing social inequality and high crime rates. Amid an economic slump that has seen higher inflation and unemployment rates, Prime Minister Marapi has faced increased pressure and public resentment from many groups. Internal security has become an increasing challenge for the Papuan government, also as neighbouring Australia and China seek closer security ties to the country in a strategically important part of the South Pacific. I am Lisa Zengarini. The Palestinian foreign minister on Monday accused Israel of apartheid and urged the United Nations top court to declare that Israel's occupation of lands sought for a Palestinian state is illegal and must end immediately and unconditionally for any hope for a two-state future to survive. The remarks came at an historic hearing into the legality of Israel's 57-year occupation. Israel's representatives were not scheduled to speak at the hearing, but submitted a letter to the court last July that was published after Monday's hearing. In the letter, Israel said that the questions put to the court are prejudiced and failed to recognize Israel's right and duty to protect its citizens, address Israeli security concerns, or acknowledge Israeli-Palestinian agreements to negotiate issues. The case opened against the backdrop of the Israel-Hamas war, which immediately became a 
focal point of the day, even though the hearings were meant to center on Israel's open-ended control over the occupied West Bank, the Gaza Strip, and the annexed East Jerusalem. The hearings follow requests by the UN General Assembly for a non-binding advisory opinion into Israel's policies in the territories. Judges will likely take months to issue an opinion. Meanwhile, in Israel, Central Tel Aviv was filled with anti-government protesters on Saturday in the largest show of anger toward Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in months. As Linda Bordoni reports, anti-government rallies died down after the Hamas attacks in October, but are gaining momentum again with thousands of Israelis demanding anticipated elections. Large-scale rallies throughout 2023 in response to the government's push for a wide-ranging judicial reform were put on pause in the immediate aftermath of the Hamas-led attacks on October the 7th. In those attacks, some 1,200 Israelis were killed and 153 were abducted. But as the war has passed the four-month mark, demonstrations against Benjamin Netanyahu's government have been strengthening, with protesters calling for new polls which are not scheduled until 2026. They are calling for the PM and his right-wing coalition to step down, adding that even before the war, they had lost confidence the government had the nation's best interest at heart. The protests against Netanyahu and the government are separate from the increasingly divisive public debate over the course of action in Gaza. According to Israeli security services, more than 130 hostages remain in the enclave. In response to the 7th of October attack, the Israeli military launched unprecedented air and ground strikes on the Gaza Strip, killing nearly 29,000 Palestinians so far and displacing more than 1.4 million people in a campaign many governments have termed a genocide. The Israeli protesters also said they were furious over Netanyahu declining to send a representative to Egypt's capital Cairo for talks over ending the Gaza conflict. The United States, Qatar and Egypt have spent weeks trying to broker a ceasefire and captive release. But the talks have been hit by a wide gap between Israel's and Hamas's demands. Qatar on Saturday said the talks have not been progressing as expected. I'm Linda Bordoni. Elsewhere, British special forces intervened to block Afghan troops they had once fought alongside from resettling in the UK. It has emerged. This finding is the latest in a series of revelations about the, U- the way the UK has handled resettlement requests from former Afghan collaborators. Joseph Tullock has this report. The UK government launched the Afghan Relocations and Assistance Policy in April 2021 as the Taliban were taking back control of Afghanistan. The plan was to bring Afghan citizens who had worked with the UK and whose lives were therefore now in serious danger in their home country to safety in Britain. Hundreds, however, saw their applications rejected and reports suggest that many have been beaten, tortured and killed. A new BBC investigation released earlier on Monday shows that UK special forces played a role in denying the relocation requests of the Afghan soldiers they'd fought alongside. The British Special Forces were given the power to veto requests made by members of certain Afghan Special Forces units at a time when they were facing a public inquiry into allegations that they had committed war crimes while serving in Afghanistan. Members of the Special Forces units that were rejected were alleged to have been present when some of these war crimes were carried out and, had they been in the UK, they could have been forced to provide evidence. It's a clear conflict of interest, one former UK Special Forces officer told the BBC. 
Speaking to Vatican Radio, a spokesperson for the UK branch of the Jesuit Refugee Service said, quote, There are vanishingly few safe routes for people to seek sanctuary in the UK. Today's troubling report highlights that even these are failing to offer protection for those who need it. UK and US bishops have also spoken out in favour of the Afghan ex-servicemen. When news of this story first broke in August 2021, Bishop Paul McAleelan, the lead bishop for migrants and refugees for the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales, wrote a letter urging the UK government to, quote, go further in helping at-risk Afghans, saying that, quote, as a nation, we should not be led by a quota, but by the need and pain before us. I'm Joseph Tullock. Violence has also flared up in recent days in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo as M23 rebels make advances in North Kivu province. Beginning yesterday, the nation's Catholics have been invited to pray at the end of every Mass for peace in areas devastated by armed groups. Devin Watkins has that story. Catholics throughout the Democratic Republic of Congo are offering prayers for peace in the eastern part of the country, which has borne the brunt of a deadly insurgency. Around 6 million civilians have lost their lives over the past 30 years in an unending cycle of violence at the hands of rebel and terrorist groups. In response to the unrest, every mass in the DRC will conclude with a prayer for peace. The initiative is spearheaded by the National Episcopal Conference of the Congo. Cardinal Fridolin Ambongo, the Archbishop of Kinshasa, will also celebrate Mass this Saturday in the capital's cathedral to pray for peace and tranquility in the Great Lakes region. The area around Goma, the capital of North Kivu province, has seen a deadly spike in conflict between armed groups, including the March 23rd movement, or M23. Following the M23 war, the city of Goma has become excessively militarized with the presence of armed groups, according to the city's bishop, Willing Ngumbi. This makes Goma a powder keg that could explode into a civil war at any moment if we are not careful. Goma, a city of nearly 2 million inhabitants, also hosts around 850,000 people displaced due to years of conflict. Over the past two years, many have sought refuge in seven camps set up by the Congolese government around the city. Bishop Ngumbi says the internally displaced persons have become hostages of the M23 war. As the city enters Lent, he says, Goma has been completely suffocated since the M23 troops advanced into the city of Sake, 30 kilometers west of Goma. Sake holds a strategic position and lies at the crossroads of three major economic routes. M23's advances in the area are endangering the flow of supplies. Now, warns Bishop Ngumbi, there is a real risk that famine will break out in Goma. He notes that M23 could close all supply routes, saying the move would leave people to die of hunger. We watch helplessly, said the Bishop of Goma, as a humanitarian disaster unfolds. I'm Devin Watkins. Finally, tomorrow, February 20th, marks the World Day of Social Justice, which reminds us each year of the need to build fairer, more equitable societies. The International Cooperation for Development and Solidarity, known from its French initials as CIDSE, is an international family of Catholic social justice organizations working together for social justice. We spoke with CIDSE's Secretary General, Josine, Secretary General Josine Gautier, ahead of tomorrow's observance. The main challenges we're facing today is that we're speaking more and more about a pluricrisis. We've gone from seeing the multiple crises, whether it's climate disruption, extreme poverty, violence, 
war and conflict over resources, gender, social and racial inequality, also living beyond our planetary boundaries and in an extractivist way with power imbalances and a culture of waste. And we're now recognizing that they are just one interconnected crisis of relationships between humans and between humans and the rest of creation. When you have to leave your home country because it's uninhabitable and it offers you no future for your family or the next generations and no dignity, then we're facing a crisis of our own morality. Because how can we allow for other human beings to flee their homes due to our own political and economic choices that are impacting them and then turn them away when they cross the border and are in need of our solidarity? It's only a matter of justice. Social justice is at the very heart of our mission um, throughout the year at SITSE. But as this is the time of Lent, our members are all participating in different ways, um, especially in celebrating a message of social justice and solidarity in this particular time. It's really a unique opportunity to take a pause and reflect on how we treat each other, how we could build more just relationships with each other and with life on this planet, which is our common home. And many of our members have offered actions and reflections to call our attention to this um, this important action of social justice and solidarity. Pope Francis's call for social justice and human rights is extremely relevant, um, should be actually the most important and resounding message for policymakers right now. Because what else are we here for if it's not to serve humanity and make it a welcoming and just home for all? That was Sidse Secretary General Jose Negotier. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Vatican and World News. In the Vatican, I'm Christopher Wells. <laughs>